welcome back to another episode of the Five Things I Read This Week podcast. I'm your host, as always, Zach Schmall. The Five Things I Read This Week podcast is a division of Entering the Public Square, a blog founded on the sincere belief that every Christian should understand the importance of discussing Christianity in the marketplace of ideas. You can find us online at enteringthepublicsquare.com, you can also find this podcast on the Google Play Store or in iTunes. So, I've been thinking a lot about my dissertation this week. I'm not particularly sure why, other than I am approaching the halfway point of my PhD program at the end of this semester. So I guess it's kind of been on my mind lately. And so you'll notice a little bit of a theme towards careers, self-awareness, intellectuals. So I'm not necessarily sure. There are a few deviations from that theme. However, I think that you might appreciate this, especially if you're considering a career in academia or you're thinking about research and things like that. So jumping in to story number one, it was written by Ryan Ferguson for the Foundation for Economic Education on March 1st, why so many people struggle to find their dream job. And Ferguson, see, as a millennial, it's really easy for me to go online and search and read every job on every board online and try to learn all about why, you know, this job is a perfect fit for me. I don't just have to be limited to my hometown newspaper's classified section, as you might have 50 years ago, where you'd never hear about a job an hour away because you didn't have the technology to see those postings. Now, we all have this love of that which is best, the perfect career. I'm going to find my dream job right now. And so Ferguson first, he's suggesting how to hit this dream job. So the first thing he thinks about is how jobs are changing. People who occupy the jobs change, as well as the company you work for. So sometimes there may be an opportunity to, he talks about, you might be interested in marketing at a cryptocurrency startup, but you only see an executive assistant job available. So you pass it up because it's not your dream job, but he suggests that maybe the best thing to do is start working towards your dream job, just start working towards what you want to do. Because only by starting that track are you actually ultimately going to get there. And then, honestly, you just need to start working. Because if you wait around forever, you wait for the job that's a perfect fit for you. Well, quite frankly, who knows what that may be? Who really knows what and when and how that opportunity is going to come up. 
And so I thought about this because ultimately my dream job is to be in academia, to be a humanities professor, ideally to be able to teach some kind of interdisciplinary humanities style curriculum. And in reality, those jobs are few and far between. And so as I think about what should I be doing now to, you know, maybe put myself in spots where that might become a more potential reality in the future. One thing, actually one of my professors, Dr. Jason Jewell, mentioned the other week is start working on getting published right away. As an academic, you're expected to get published, but it doesn't mean I can't start right now thinking about, oh, should I get published? Where should I get published? What should I write? Obviously, these types of projects are rather large time commitments, but it's important for a future career in academia. Another thing is to be in networking, obviously, with others in the field so that you hear about opportunities. So I think this might be a bit of an encouragement to any of you out there who might be struggling and, oh, what's my dream job? What's my purpose? What am I aiming for? You know, sometimes what you have to do is just start working. And even if you can't get the whole thing all at once, take a step in the right direction. And once you're taking that step, you never know what steps might come after. So this is an encouraging piece. I think you might enjoy it. Written by Ryan Ferguson. Why so many people struggle to find their dream job. It's written on March 1st on the Foundation for Economic Education. Moving on then, we're deviating here. This is one of those deviations I was talking about. It's from the Daily Signal. It was written by Jarrett Stepman on February 28th. YouTube quietly relies on far-left organization to help police content. It's no surprise that YouTube, owned by Google, has some ideas about filtering content. We've seen Google manifest that recently with their fact-checking from biased fact-checkers. But the Daily Hauler reported that YouTube is using the Southern Poverty Law Center to assist in policing content on its video sharing website. We've heard about YouTube in the past censoring PragerU videos. And the question, Google was asked if it had collaborated and they hadn't responded to the Daily Signal at the time of publishing. But the question, as reported by the Daily Holler, is really, you have to beware of who's checking the facts. Because fact checkers are not unbiased things. 
Probation entities are not unbiased. Southern Poverty Law Center has a perspective. And a lot of things, out of here, they're right about. They label a lot of hate groups legitimately who are hate groups. There are plenty of horrible groups, and they rightfully hold them out. The problem is they really start blurring lines a lot. They label hate groups who very well are not hate groups, but they don't align with the SPLC. And a lot of conservative organizations have been lumped in with totally evil groups. And there's a major difference. The this article talks about how it's very troubling, perhaps, if this Daily Holler report is true, which we have no indication to believe it isn't, but assuming it's true, tipping the political scales. Because, you see, when you start applying a filter that takes individuals or organizations and with it if content is filtered based upon someone else's perspective and is not necessarily a free and open marketplace there's a great deal of danger in that especially if people are unaware because you see that that's the tricky part here. If you go to Fox News, you know you'll read conservative commentary. If you go to MSNBC, you know you'll hear liberal commentary. You know what you're getting when you go there. When people think about YouTube, they don't necessarily think about what bias YouTube itself might or might not have. They think about what videos they want to find. Now, the presenters, everyone realizes, has their own perspective. That's why we all love certain YouTube hosts or podcast hosts. We like the people that we prefer. But we don't think that YouTube has any skin in the game. And if this report from the Daily Haller is true, that is a very troubling trend. Because then, clearly, we're turning people away from information that they might want and the one who's doing that tipping is a highly left-wing organization that has a questionable history of identifying hate groups at best they identify a lot of them right but they've certainly gotten some wrong too and that is a very troubling question. So this article from the Daily Signal, written on February 28th by Jarrett Stepman, YouTube quietly relies on far-left organization to help police content. Now we're moving on to the Atlantic, an article written by Adam Grant on March 1st. People don't actually know themselves very well. So it it's interesting, right? We think that we know ourselves quite well. 
we think that we, you know, we've been in our shoes. We've walked our own path. So we understand how we feel about things, what we think about things, what we see, what we do. And, and so obviously it makes sense that I know me better than you know me. But it's interesting. This article says, 16 rigorous studies of thousands of people at work have shown that people's co-workers are better than they are at recognizing how their personality will affect their job performance. So that's really fascinating. My co-workers know how dependable I am or how friendly I am better than I know myself. And of course, as article points out, we do have blind spots, right? And there are some things that we think we do really well, and maybe we're not so good, or vice versa. Our friends might say that we're great at it, and we've never thought we were much good. So, I chose this article specifically, and this is getting more back to my dissertation and my career, because there are things, I think, that we all assume. We assume that we know what we want. We assume we understand what we're aiming for. Let me, I assume I know what career I want. I assume I know how I'm going to get there. I assume that, you know, I have the skill set to be a rather successful professor. I think I do. But, quite frankly, I could be wrong. Because we don't know ourselves that well. Our own assessment of our own abilities are sometimes suspect. And so that makes me, that makes me think, and as a Christian as well, I think back to the words of Jesus where it's important to take the speck out of my own eye before I reach toward the log in someone else's eye. Or, I mean, the log in my own eye before I arrive at the speck in someone else's. Things Jesus never said when I quote them wrongly. But it's a speck in my neighbor's eye, but I don't notice the log in my own eye. It, it's kind of terrifying, to be honest. Because I like to think that if I have a problem, I can fix it. If I want to do something, I know that it's actually something I'll enjoy. Because, of course, I know me, and nobody else knows me as well as I know me. So I'll make the right decision. But this research, which Grant talks about, really casts that into question. That you just don't really know. And if, you know, we ought to be humble. And we ought to be cautious. This isn't to doubt everything that you feel or everything that you know. We're not going into some radical doubt, the whole world's a lie type of area here. But I am suggesting that perhaps when we think we know what we want, a little bit of time and reflection grants us just a few ideas. Um, 
that if you want to know yourself more clearly, be in difficult situations will certainly help expose your true self. Writing down your own tendencies is useful. And then open yourself up to feedback all the time. And if we do these three things, it will help us become more aware of who we are and what we do. But that takes work, and we don't like work. We don't like to do things like that. So as a result, let's, you know, let's try to be more self-aware. Because really, number one, it won't hurt. And number two, I think it will be more effective. For me, as I look towards my future in academia, or for anybody else and wherever you are in life, this is a very useful skill. And I think we all have to become better at it. So this article is called People Don't Actually Know Themselves Very Well. It's from The Atlantic, written by Adam Prant on March 1st. Now, moving on to an article I don't 100% agree with from The Intellectual Takeout, which is rare, because I love Intellectual Takeout. It was written by Daniel Laddier on February 27th. Do not get a PhD in the liberal arts unless. So here's some criteria for when it's appropriate to get a doctorate. He, he has a PhD and he talks about how a man named Dave Devil wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal and he says that there are three criteria that he applies if somebody wants a letter of recommendation from him. First, don't go to any program that wants to charge you tuition. I disagree with that, but more in the future. Number two, you go with the goal of being the best and most productive graduate student in your class. I agree. If you're going to go into something like this, go hard, because you have to do your best. And third, Understand that even if you do all of it, you quite likely will not become a professor, and you have to have a backup plan. I mean, I agree with that. So, here are last year's guidelines. First, only apply to top-tier doctoral programs. I think that's true. I understand that, but keep in mind that every top-tier program is not necessarily the it might not be the right program for you and i say this cautiously but we have see we have this tendency to idolize certain colleges and that's true i mean certain colleges have reputations but we need to be very careful that we don't write off the program that actually is what we want to learn. For example, I'm doing a PhD in humanities right now. Because of that interest, there aren't a ton of colleges that offer a PhD in humanities. Faulkner has a very good program. Now, I don't... I love you, Faulkner. If any of my professors hear this, I'm sorry. 
put a lot of people you're not in the think of Faulkner in line with Harvard, Yale, and Stanford. But it was a program that had what I wanted to do. It had a humanities program focused in a Christian worldview. And so in that sense, it is top tier among the qualifications that I put on it. But I think that takes a little bit of nuance. And that also ties into the don't go to any program that wants to charge you tuition. Again, some smaller programs might not have the giant endowments of Harvard or Duke or Notre Dame. So I agree I would not go into debt and I'm not going into debt. I'm paying cash as I go because I realize this third point that you may not become a professor after all of this. So I, I've kept my day job. However, point number two, be comfortable with feeling displaced. Now, Bladier talks about how you'll probably have to chase a lot. You might take one year jobs here, other jobs there, all kinds of places where you never thought you'd do. You never thought you would end up being a professor here, there, or anywhere else. And that's, that's true. Um, but, again, I think that we need to consider that this type of displacement, I don't know, I, I don't think that necessarily has to happen. It very well could. And Ladier is pretty hesitant. He says it's entirely possible, dot, dot, dot. So he realizes it may or it may not. But don't let that scare you away from a PhD. And he also talks about how it's important to have a day job, which I agree. Um, for me, right now, I'm, you know, I'm an insurance underwriter by day. And I do that because I need to be able to handle my finances. It's just common sense. So, as we end the final sentence, oh, he does mention if you're white, if you're a white male, say twice, maybe thrice. I don't think I entirely agree with that either. Um, although there is a lot of, um, a lot of positions and hiring committees that do take into consideration diversity, and since most of the academy is white males, I mean, I do see his point that if they are valuing diversity, the available spots will probably not go to white males. But... The final sentence, and for those who simply want to pursue a PhD out of a sheer love of learning, which is partially me. Of course, I do have dreams of being a professor someday, but at its root, I'm doing this because I like to learn, and it's the next logical step. My only piece of advice is this, never ever go into debt for it. And that's spot on. 
you can't, huh? You can't do it. That's why I have a day job. I'm not really into that. I like what I do. It's a lot of fun. And, but I would not pin all of my hopes on getting that professorship because it is a vicious environment. And I hope it works out. I pray it works out. I'll do my best, but you never know. So, this is a worthwhile article. There were some points I disagreed with, but it's from Daniel Ladier on Intellectual Takeout. Do not get a PhD in the liberal arts unless. And finally, moving on to number five. The arrogant ignorance of the well-educated. From the Imaginative Conservative, written by Joseph Pierce. This was actually written way back in on March 28, 2016. So it's almost two years old. I hadn't seen it before. I thought it was really good. So Pierce is writing about how he saw a bumper sticker that said, what you call the liberal elite, we call being well-educated. And he then goes on to list a whole bunch of, say, qualifications that this bumper sticker probably implies. For example, to be well-educated is to be ignorant of theology, philosophy, history, and the great books of civilization. It is to believe that we have nothing to learn from the great conversation that has animated human discourse for three millennia. Now see, that's amazing. Because I agree, a lot of people who would call themselves intellectuals or well-educated have not learned all of the all of the the value of the great tradition. There's a lot of people who are simply illiterate in regards to the great books. And not only that, but a hundred years ago you could not be considered well educated if you didn't understand the great tradition and the great books. Mortimer Adler has his Great Books of the Western World. I'm slowly working my way through it in my PhD program. And it's amazing. There's some great stuff in there. Some wisdom that people do not understand. So, as we think about this, remember that the assumption nowadays is oftentimes, you know, based on the modern conception of being well-educated. And generally, a lot of these people have never learned theology. They've rejected the great books because they're Eurocentric, anti-feminist, and some worse names that I will not say on this podcast. So we reject all of those old dead white men. But that's being well-educated because you've rejected the system. See, for me, it's quite the opposite. To be well-educated, you need to know where we've come from. It doesn't mean all these guys are right. I mean, I'm reading Karl Marx right now. I don't agree with a lot of what Karl Marx says. But Karl Marx, as one of my professors and I were talking about tonight, is a giant. 
But you have to be able to engage with the giant and understand the giant. You may not agree with him, but you, at the very least, have to know he's there if you're going to understand anything about economic development in Europe, in Asia, or in South America in contemporary times with all of the Marxist politics that are ravaging places like Venezuela. You have to be able to understand where we came from so you can understand where we are. And that's what a lot of people are missing today. And that's what Pierce is talking about here with his bumper sticker. What you call the liberal elite, we call being well-educated. A lot of people are not half as well-educated as they think they are. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast. We will be back next week. Who knows what we'll talk about then, but it will surely be a lot of fun. Have a great week, everybody.